Welcome to day five of MicroConf On Air. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I have a special guest, Craig Hewitt, who I will intro in just a moment, coming to us all the way from Annecy, France. If you are watching this on microconfonair.com, uh, you can always head over, uh, find us in YouTube. We live stream it on YouTube as well. You can search for MicroConf. We have a channel and this will show up. If you are, and subscribe to the channel to be notified. Um, if you are on YouTube, feel free to head over to MicroConf on air. Uh, if you want to see the schedule for the coming week, if you want to be more involved and ask questions, you're going to hear me reading uh, listener audience questions today. That all takes place in MicroConf Connect, which is uh, MicroConf's year-round perpetual Slack channel. It's a community of hundreds and hundreds of founders and aspiring founders like yourself. So microconfconnect.com if you want to apply uh, to get an invite. Thanks, as always, to Basecamp and Stripe. Wow, someone's doing an announcement. This is... Um... <laughs> so as I've said in the intro of, of every, this is real life. Like we're all in our house. I'm here with uh, my wife and three kids and I have an Amazon Alexa just over my left shoulder and someone did an announcement right during my intro. So um, it's real life, it's unedited, it's live and I would not put it past my kids to run in this house behind me or frankly uh, Craig's, Craig's kids to do it over here. So with that, um, we're going to talk for about 25 or 30 minutes. We're going to dive deep into uh, what Craig's been up to, as well as his microconf talk from Europe uh, just a few months ago. So Craig Hewitt is the founder of the podcast hosting platform Castos. That's at castos.com if you want to check it out. Uh, he was the subject of the Tiny Seed Tales season one, um, which was, you know, what, eight or nine episodes of a podcast uh, where he and I really dug in. I have followed him over about six or seven months of his journey as, as a founder of Castos. He's a two-time MicroConf speaker. He is co-host of the Rogue Startups podcast. And he has a bunch of other stuff that I won't go into now, uh, lest I belabor the points. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's awesome to be here. Um, so Craig, so we're gonna we're gonna cover different topics, and and you know it really is an ask him anything. But we kind of wanted to shape the discussion around this MicroConf talk that Craig did in uh, MicroConf Europe in October. Um, man, it feels. I tell you what. It's a different like world, isn't ago. it, man? It feels like years <laughs> ago. Have, have you been watching any TV shows? Like I, we watch Lego Masters, which is a reality TV show, and obviously it was filmed, you know, last year or whatever. And everybody's high fiving and hugging and handshaking when they come up, and I'm like, no, you can't do that, <laughs> you know. But it's it's a it's just a different world. So, Craig's talk was titled "Staying on Top of Your SaaS Metrics: Knowing What to Measure and What Not to to Help Maintain Sustainable Growth." And that's just went live on YouTube in the past uh, day or two. So certainly, even if you haven't watched it now, it's definitely worth, um, you know, worth watching in the next couple of days. It was it was uh, well regarded at MicroConf Europe. So with that, let's dig into a couple questions in the MicroConf on air channel of MicroConf Connect. All right. So Johnny Platt had a question and he said, I'd love to know how you set up your analytics between your WordPress plugin or any other integration and your marketing slash SaaS application site. I'm planning a few integrations, Google Docs, Chrome extensions, and WordPress, and it's making my head hurt deciding how to best track freemium and paid users across the tool. And so for context, uh, Craig slash Castos uh, owns Seriously Simple Podcasting, which is a, a WordPress plugin. That's what Startups for the Rest of Us uses. Um, and that helps, you know, your WordPress site do all the things you need to do with podcasting. And then Castos is a SaaS application that obviously is really tightly integrated with Seriously Simple Podcasting. 
Um, and that's the hosting service that actually hosts all the files and such. So with that context, sir, you want to dig in a little bit to his question? Yeah, and, and, and my response to Johnny was um, it, it's difficult and it's it's kind of complicated, but um, we do a few things to to try to attribute at least uh, trial new trial customers and website visits and things like that that we know are coming from WordPress to the site. And, and so like the, the first and most obvious is like, a unique landing page. So the only reason people should be coming to this page on your site is they're clicking on the link from wherever you have your integration. Again, like a Chrome extension, a WordPress plugin. Uh, they're clicking on this to learn more or sign up or start their trial or whatever. And that's the landing page, however you want to define landing page, but a dedicated page on your site that is just for people coming from this integration to kind of learn more about your stuff and hopefully sign up. And so that's like the easy one. Um, we also put UTM parameters in that link um, just in case there are other people coming from wherever. I mean, the, the page that we send people to from WordPress to Castos um, does rank well in, in Google for certain terms. Um, so we have a UTM parameter kind of configuration on that link from WordPress uh, to, to, our Word, to, to, to the Castos marketing site just so we can filter out, okay, out of all the traffic, we know, you know, 100% these are the links from our integration to the marketing site, to this landing page. Um, that's that's kind of as far as we've gotten. Um, we also uh, we also get um, those UTM parameters, parameters into Amplitude, which is like the product metrics tool that we use. And we're able to kind of slice and dice things a little more from there into kind of like how successful people are uh, and how much they activate within the product. So Google Analytics, I think, is a really good um, top of funnel tool. And then it kind of, for us, it gets passed over into, into Amplitude to say like, okay, we know where they came from. They landed on the site here and they started a trial this time. And then for us, you do things like they published their first podcast episode and they created their feed and they visited the upgrade page to become a paying customer and things like that. So that's kind of where the handoff happens there. Um, but but I think, Johnny, if you're, if you're able to, you know, create a dedicated page on the site, use UTM parameters, and then pass that information into something like Amplitude, you're probably doing about as good as you can, I think. I don't know, Rob, do you have yeah, any, anything stick out there? No, that's always what it is, is it's always, this is probably, I don't know, this is not 100% attribution. This maybe is 50 or 60%, you know, and, and we were just talking before we went live that you're, you're actually doing surveys once people sign up and stick around or maybe to your marketing audience and saying, Hey, how did you hear about us? And while, you know, human memory is imperfect. Um, I always found that extremely enlightening and kind of surprising. We would compare Google analytics and uh, mix panel and all this, and even drip and all the sources we had for where people were coming from. And yet when they actually told us in a survey, the numbers never, it was always different, quite a bit different. So I think these are just multiple sources of data. It's incomplete information, right? Like I always say, and you just have to do your best with it. Yeah. And I kind of think the, the qualitative data, like a survey response for me carries more weight because they're, they're kind of the, I don't know if they're the vocal minority, but but they're kind of your super fans, probably the people that take the time to complete the survey, um, especially if you if you show them the survey after they become a paying customer or something. You know, those are the people that kind kind of are the are to an extent the data you really want to get. So, yep. 
Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, thanks for running us through that. I think that's that's helpful. Oh, yeah, dig back to this thread. Of course, I hit it. All right. Uh, next question. Oh, by the way, if you have questions for Craig, please do feel free to post them in the microphone on air channel. There's only one more question, and then I start uh, telling jokes and doing magic tricks for the remaining time. So you did, trust me, you don't want that. All right, Sean Davis says, hi, Craig, I'd be interested in thoughts on a customer acquisition cost versus lifetime value. I've been running a consulting business for a while. Each sale can bring in a lot of money, but I choke on the acquisition cost, which can be quite high. I'm wondering if there's an acceptable rule of thumb, percentage or ratio. Well, he said percentage. I think it's more of a ratio, but what are your thoughts on that? How do you think about LTV? to uh, cost to acquire. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, for Sean, if he has like a one-time consulting engagement that he's selling, it's a little different than thinking about in, uh, like paid acquisition for a SaaS or like a recurring productized service. Um, because then like for, for a one-time thing, you have like return on ad spend, like ROAS is the term that they use in e-commerce a lot. Uh, and you want that to be whatever, some multiple. Um, for anything that's subscription-based, it's all about like how how long it takes you to get paid back. Um, and so I'll, I'll answer it for, for both for Castos and for Podcast Motor. Um, at, at Castos, we're comfortable uh, spending up to about 50% of lifetime value directly attributed to AdWords or Facebook to acquire a customer. Um, and I say directly attributable because there's like this halo effect of just running ads, like you run ads and people see your name and go to your website organically and type in, you know, castos.com or podcastmotor.com. And so I think there's there's something kind of to be said there. Um, and the and the converse is true too, that we're only comfortable spending like 50% of lifetime value because attribution stinks and we know that we're we're spending money that isn't really kind of getting us customers down the road um so so that's that's kind of the the two sides of that i, I think for sean if if he's selling one-time consulting engagements uh maybe it's a little easier I, I think paid acquisition for any kind of subscription tool is harder than things like e-commerce or one-time engagements be, because you can just say like okay i'm going to sell this five thousand dollar thing if you have enough runway, you can spend $4,000 to acquire that customer. And the math is really like straightforward. Um, for us, it's like, how long do we wait back? Um, for us as bootstrappers, I, I think the, the goal is something like three months on a, on a subscription basis. If you can get paid back in terms of your, um, your ARPU, then that that's pretty good. Um, Castos are, uh, we're not doing that good yet, um, which is why we're not spending a ton on paid acquisition. Um, and, and then kind of the other side of the coin is that Podcast Motor, we have lifetime value in the thousands, probably Sean like you do. And so we're fine spending, you know, $500 to acquire a customer because lifetime value is like $5,000. Um, and, and we can recoup that cost, you know, just so much quicker. So it's just multiples of, of the same idea. Um, yeah, that would be that would be my, my guess is I would say... For a one-time sale, I would I would want to, as a bootstrapper especially, be able to spend like less than half of what that consulting engagement costs. Um, and as a on a subscription basis, if you can get paid back in three months, um, that's really good. Yeah, the the venture capital rule of thumb that I've heard for funded companies is up to one third. If you can acquire for less than a third of your lifetime value, you're doing quite well. So it's like a three to one ratio. 
no more than one year of uh, payback period. Again, this is funded. This is people who've raised millions, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. So they have a lot of cash in the bank because it's not just ratios. It's how much cash do you have in the bank? Because if let's say you have a lifetime of five years, which these a lot of these bigger enterprises have lifetime value, you know, lifetimes of that customer lifetimes of that or longer. Um, but you can't just spend a year and a half trying to recoup that cost because you'll you'll suck up all the cash in the bank to do it. So no more than a year, three one ratio. That's funded. I've always thought about you know us more capital efficient, self-funded, indie funded folks. Two to four months is my range. Uh, with Hittail, and I'm trying to think with Drip, I, I went out a little further, but with Hittail at one point, I, ha I was getting really good at, at the Facebook ad side of things. And it was so wildly profitable because it was um, just me and a couple contractors. So I mean, the, profit, the net profit was like 90% or something on that app. And I went out to six months on the buys and it allowed me to just widen that funnel. And I knew that, you know, the the, the revenue and the LTV that would come in would, would pay that back. And I had enough cash in the bank because at a certain point it was doing 20, 30 grand a month and just putting that in the bank and then re, you know, reinvesting it. So um, two to four months is typically, and you do have to do the math on if I'm spending $5,000 a month, do I have, and I'm getting paid back in four months, do I have 20 grand of cash in the bank to fund those ads during that time? You know, and that's, that's what it all yeah. comes down to. And that's this whole exercise, right? Yeah, so I think that's that, where... that last part is really important of like the total amount you're spending uh, makes the math a little different too. Because like if you're going to spend $500 a month and then just cut your ads off once you've acquired that customer or whatever, yeah. then it's not that hard. But yeah, I mean, you know, we've spent ten or $15,000 a month in ads and um, you got to make sure that, that your math is right yeah. to feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, for sure. And as you were saying, you know, you were, you were referring to um, to Sean that he's a, a consultant and essentially has, you know, one time costs and that I haven't really, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I, I used to run a, a, you know, a micro agency with me or me plus a couple other contractors. And I didn't even think about cost to acquire because I guess I didn't run paid ads at the time, but I was doing contracts of, let's say 20 to a hundred grand each contract was. And I, I would easily have spent five or 10 grand to acquire if I really needed somebody, um, you know, at the mm. time. All right, let's, but I think it, it just depends on your comfort level with it and how, you know, if you're, if you're running out of clients and you need to keep people busy, I mean, you can obviously, you know, you, you get, you know, motivated. all right, a couple more questions. So Forrest has a question. He says, how do you decide which attribution, attribution model is best to use? Currently working on revamping our attribution track. So for context for folks, there's first touch, there's last touch, there's a weighted attribution across all the touch points that you've had with them. So first touch would be, hey, I had a Facebook ad, they clicked it, then they came, they visited the website, they came back a week later, then they signed up for my email, they went through a nurture sequence, and then they came back a week later and signed up. First touch would say, Facebook ad gets, gets this uh, sale in essence, right? Gets the trial sign up. Or last last touch would be well it was their last email they got right before they came in and then there's weighted um you know where it'll like try to split it if there's five touch points each one gets 20 percent um am i missing any i mean there's a bunch of that's the most common you've heard about craig yeah no i mean i think that the other one i hear about and i think is just kind of nebulous is multi-touch um mm -hmm. and, and that just I, I think to a lot of people it doesn't make any sense and is super hard to track so i think people mm -hmm. who are going to say that's great <laughs> but it, it's yeah. kind of hard to do anything with um so what do so you for, what do you typically use yeah 
Yeah, for us, we are we are big on first touch attribution. Um, and and the way we think about it is, we have like this whole like kind of funnel and set of nurture sequences and everything, and those are static, right? Like we get people in and they're on our list and we nurture them and hopefully they start a trial and all these kind of things. So if somebody starts a trial from email, but they came from a Facebook ad, then then really like the thing that we're changing and affecting is that Facebook ad. Uh, and, and so that's really what we want to measure. I think if you if you go to change your nurture sequence later, then you might want to look at like last touch um, attribution at, at a later time. But for us, like if, if we consider that a lot of our more bottom of the funnel, like nurture and, and things that are getting closer to when people are purchasing or starting a trial or whatever are relatively stable, then first touch gets a lot more important because then it's just people into the top of that funnel uh, and the rest of it is is kind of the same. So I think one of the dangers that Denise, um, she's our head of marketing at Casta, is the thing we talk about a lot is like, we can't change too much and we all want to, right? We're gonna change a hundred things as entrepreneurs and, and just kind of see what happens, but it really screws your data. So we try very hard, like on a monthly basis to say like, okay, we're gonna do this thing, <laughs> you know, and try to just keep everything else the same because if we do that, then we can really look at the data and say like, okay, this Facebook ad, resulted in 20,000 more page views, and that was 30 more trials and, and all this kind of stuff, if everything else was the same. If you start multivariate testing at the one time, you you just need a ton of data that most of us as like relatively small companies don't have. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. how we look at it. Yeah, and I, I think that's what folks should think about it is, first touch and last touch are, they're different information. The first touch is, how are you driving people into the top of your funnel? The last touch is what is causing the most, you know, most people to convert. And they're just completely different um, pieces of information, I guess. So I would think about it if you have a bottom of, if no one's converting, then I would start looking at last touch and I would try to optimize that with stuff, with more emails, with webinars, with, you know, there's a playbook for that. And as you said, once you have that relatively stable where you feel pretty confident in it, then I would, I wouldn't switch, but I would, cause you can look at both, right? It's not like you have to pick one and never look back, but um, look at your first touch and just say, how can I get more people into the funnel that will convert? Because the nice part about first touch is if you have 10 different traffic sources, you can see who converted, you know, you're looking at conversions to trial, you know that one, two, three of them is gonna perform way better than the others. So that's the real benefit value of doing it. Another question they're rolling in here, sir. How from Mason Hensley, how often do you refer to your metrics slash dashboards as a founder, daily, weekly, et cetera? You mentioned Amplitude, Google Analytics, et cetera. Do you roll those into a centralized location? Yeah, so we have, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, it's not secret sauce, but we, uh, so we have a scorecard that, that we keep, and this is uh, Denise's role, uh, one of her roles is, is to keep the scorecard updated. And the scorecard pulls data from several different sources. It's a Google Sheet. Um, and I talked about this at in my MicroConf Europe talk. So if you want to check out the talk on YouTube, uh, it talks a little bit about how to set this up. But you can basically automate reports from Google Analytics into a Google Sheet on whatever kind of frequency you want. Um, and then you can look at things like page views and unique visitors and any kind of custom events or goals that you have. Um, and so we have a goal in Google Analytics for when somebody uh, visits the trial registration page, when they start a trial, and then when they view the, the upgrade to a paid plan. Um, and then we have custom events that are fired by JavaScript when somebody becomes a 
Sure. So we have all that stuff in Google Analytics and all that feeds automatically on a daily basis into our scorecard. Um, that gives us a lot of the, it's not top of funnel, but it's like the, the acquisition side of, of having customers really, you know, it's like, okay, they, they come to your website, they check you out, they view your pricing page, they start a trial, all that kind of stuff. That's getting people in the door. Um, and for us at this point, that's where we're really focused. You know, our, our stuff after people start trials, trial to paid conversion ratios, churn, lifetime value for us are, are all really solid. So a lot of our focus is on the acquisition side. Um, and so we look at, Denise and I review the scorecard every week during our, our weekly marketing call. Um, and we're really just looking at, we have uh, goals on a monthly basis. We wanna increase page views this much and we wanna increase trial to paid conversion ratio and total trials and new customers. and. So we've set like the conditional stuff in Google Sheets to, you know, if it's above 15% growth, then it's green. If it's, you know, 15 to five, then it's yellow. If it's five or less, then it's red. And and so we can pretty quickly look at a pretty complex spreadsheet and just say, wow, there, there's two red cells. What the heck is going on here? You know, that's the, that's the whack-a-mole that we gotta, that we gotta hit. Um, you know, here going forward or understand what the data is. So um, we look at the data every week, um, but as a, a hyper compulsive founder, I look at profit well every day. So that's that's the other part of that. Yep. And I used to look at Stripe every day. I used <laughs> to, um, I did same thing with you. We had a weekly review meeting of Google Analytics, all the trials of the week. We try to tag them, figure out where they came from and look at the numbers. And, and Anna actually used to do a lot of manual tagging, which was a trip. Maybe I'll talk about that a, a, another time. Um, and then let me think, oh, if I was starting up a new ad campaign or if we were gonna do some split testing or something where we were actively changing things, I would review it every day sometimes multiple times a day, but that, that feels a little compulsive. Uh, yeah, compulsive to check on it. Um, a lot of times it would be daily, daily, daily. And then once the ad campaign or the split test, whatever was kind of running and I felt more comfortable with it, then it became a twice a week or a once a week cadence. Just all, all about the level of uncertainty, you know, when you're starting something new. All right, we have another question. We have time for this one, maybe one more, depending on how long, how long these take. Uh, from Ben Hill, he says, it's another question about attribution. I do an annual investment in a certain seasonal marketing channel. Each year I respend on that channel and over the next 12 months, new customers sign up. But I don't know how many of those signups are due to my most recent spend or if they were due to the reputation I have developed over the years. Any advice on how to determine if it is worth continuing to invest in that channel? These channels are primarily trade shows. So it sounds like he goes to a trade show once a year and he doesn't know if going each year, you know, continues that or if he could stop going for a year, you know, let's say he stops going permanently, or let's say he's, you know, let's say he goes once every other year Would that, would that maintain? Is there any way to track that? Yeah, I would, without knowing more about how people become customers or start trials or whatever, Ben, and if you want to drop that in the, the thread here, Black, uh, please do so we can get some more clarity on it. But, but I would, I would say kind of like going back to the first question is like, what kind of unique data can you get around people that are signing up, whether it's like, um, if you're at a trade show, give out a like a business card with a coupon code on it, and that's different every year. And then you could go into Stripe and say, how many people are uh, redeeming this coupon code that was from my trade show this year? 
um, and anything that's it, like right? that, yeah, anything that's like that to, to attribute like what you did this year to people becoming paying customers, um, because that, I hate to say that's all that matters, but it's like the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, the most recent, is this a first touch or a last touch thing? I like the Adiva coupon code. I think that's pretty, that's kind of a common, um, you know, a common approach to it. I think another way is to just ask people, you know, depending on the volume mm. of customers, you can either do it automated, have your, your onboarding sequence where it's like once they're two weeks into a trial or once they're one month into being a paid customer, or if you, you know, if you have lower volume, if you're doing high touch sales, obviously you could just ask them on a call and it's not, how did you hear about us? You know, this trade show, it's, this trade show this year, you know, or what caused you to sign up? What made you sign up now rather than later or rather than, you know, it's almost getting into the interesting, you don't necessarily want to know how they heard about you, that you want to know why they decided to sign up. Um, and I think that's something certainly delve into. Yeah, Ben says in here that customers started trial on their own and he asks how they heard about him, but they don't always say. So yeah, I mean, they, sure. I think that's the, that's the thing is, the data you do get there from those surveys is really valuable. Um, and I would yep. yeah keep asking in as many different ways as you can. We, we ask an email after people become a paying customer about a week, um, but we also pop up a hot jar survey in the app right after they start a trial. Um, and those are, that's different data, right? Because one is paying customers, the other is trials. Um, and both are important for different reasons. Well, very cool, sir. I, uh, we're at 25 minutes. I don't see any additional questions. Um, I think we'll move back. it's interesting today, you know, you never have any idea what, what road we're going to go down. And we just, we did a lot of attribution today. So I'm glad you have a lot of thoughts on that, on that topic. Um, for folks who haven't, oh, hold on. Producer Xander just posted something. Uh, someone new. All right. So there's a question. Someone new who is starting their own business where is the best place for them to learn about this kind of stuff? Lifetime value, cost to acquire, how to compute these things, um, and potentially how to think about attribution. What do you think, sir? you have any good resources? Your yeah, talk. I think for <laughs> my, my talk is a, is a decent resource. I, I think for a lot of the, the subscription ass metric stuff, Patrick Campbell is, is the way to go. So priceintelligently.com, he puts out a ton of great content and is i think the authority on this um for for analytics um we really like using amplitude um the the few tools out there they think do a really good job of this and they all have really good blogs you know amplitude uh heap and mix panel are the three kind of leaders um and, and they they're have all good content on their blogs right they do a lot of content marketing so they would yep. be good sources for this yep cool Sounds good. Let me see. Um, yeah, I think that's going to wrap us. We're at 12.27. Uh-oh. No, he did not. Nick just posted. Nick from Dentally just said, I'd say a mandatory joke is required. And it got two upvotes already in like the first 10 seconds. What do you think, Craig? Should we bail today without telling a joke or should we do one? No, uh, let's hear it, Rob. I'm sure you got one. All right. So did you hear about, you may have heard this one before. Did you hear about the guy who was fired board factory? He wasn't putting in enough shifts. Yep, and there it is. We really need a, a sad trombone sound effect. But, um, so thank, <laughs> thank you so much, Greg, uh, for joining us today. If you want to keep up with, he's at the Craig Hewitt on Twitter. 
also host of the Rogue Startups podcast and of a new podcast called Audience that if you're interested in starting a podcast, you have your own podcast, I've been listening to it. It's legitimately good, highly produced. Um, so check those out. Tomorrow, I'm gonna be speaking in very much the same fashion as today with Ben Orenstein, co-founder of Tuple, co-host of the Art of Product podcast. He did a microconf talk last year called Idea to Validation to Launch the First 365 Days of Tuple. And if you have that, head over to the microconf YouTube channel. That is live right now. You can watch that, ask Ben any questions about things he is up to. So thanks again, Craig, for joining me today. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. One for, for coming. I'll see you again tomorrow, same time, same place. See you.